1: Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for Same Race multi-tips. Same Racer.
2: Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet.
0: Campbell responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. is coming in gold and a world record. Ian Four, the birth
2: of a
1: legend. 458
2: is the total, out of which Bradman has made 309 not out. It's a record. Bradman!
0: First ball in test cricket in England for Shane Warne. And he's done it he started off with the most beautiful delivery. Got
1: Australia has done it! Got it.
0: Australia
1: is back on
0: the biggest stage. Welcome to This is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals celebrating lives. Here's your host Sam Edmund.
1: everybody and welcome to the show. As always, we're here for our great friends at Tobin Brothers Funerals celebrating lives. Well, today we're joined by one of the most popular figures in the history of the game. Robert Dippier Domenico is a Brownlow medalist, a five-time premiership icon at Hawthorne and an AFL Hall of Famer. A larger-than-life character who has entertained us as a boundary writer, an actor on the big screen, a presenter on the small screen. It's a great pleasure to welcome the man, better known, of course, as Dipper. Dipper, hello and thanks for joining us. No, no worries at all, Sam. Thanks for having me on board. Well, where do we find you, and how are you coping in these crazy times?
2: Well, I'm down the uh, Mornington Peninsula way down at Rye, um, and um, well, Callum from Brighton's uh, walked Brighton, I've walked all of Rye and Sorrento, <laughs> everywhere. So, uh, I'm just keeping, uh, I'm just keeping sane by doing my ISO walks every day, and uh, just uh, you know trip, try to keep out of harm's way. For someone who's very energetic and someone who's travelled all his life and, and uh, uh, I find it at times a little bit stressful, but, you know, i just got to do the right thing and making sure that uh, we get out of this okay. Yeah, like everybody, you know, everyone's doing it tough at the moment.
1: Yeah, amen, amen to that, no doubt about it. Well, Dip, I'm glad this um, sort of COVID-19 didn't hit when you were a kid because everything I've read and heard about you, and I think you admit yourself you had a touch of the ADDs about you as a young fella
2: and I've still got it don't worry about that I've always been very energetic and uh, and the reason is because uh, well some call me a pain in the butt side but uh, it was uh, it was known as ADD back in the time but look um, I'm very thankful for um, for my life in a way because I've just enjoyed it as much as I can and I've travelled around the world and through the game of footy it's really up a lot of doors for me and uh you know, it's been part of my life since uh, the first kick I had when I was about 12 years of age. So, and and still uh, involved with it. But you know, uh, you can't keep a good man down. I'm just waiting to get out of this ice and, uh, and and making sure that uh, we get out there and do what we do, and that is enjoying life. We've got to enjoy life now that we all know how bad we can get uh, in this pandemic. Uh, but uh, amazing what's happened uh, uh, to the world. But the one thing I know is that uh, you've got to get out there and, and smell the roses, they
1: say. Yeah, we certainly won't take anything for granted again, will we? Let's go back uh, a bit, Dipper, to prior to the, your doors opening, if you like. Now, your biography blurb describes you as the bumbling son of hard-working <laughs> migrants. Tell us about your childhood. Well,
2: my childhood was quite good, actually. I, um, My mum... Um, Well, my dad came over in 1954. His name is uh, Stefano. When he uh, came over the boat and uh, made it to... uh, We stopped in Fremantle first. And uh, he picked up a couple of jobs in Fremantle. And then he he found out there's a lot more work in Melbourne. So he jumped on the boat again and came over to to Victoria and and become a labourer. And uh, he rented a house in Richmond with a few other guys. And then... And two years later, he married my mum over the phone. Uh, and mum come over in 56, and uh, and then they bought a house in Hawthorne. And hence, hence, I was in the area of Hawthorne. So I went from Richmond to Hawthorne. Could have been the Frio, you never know. But uh, uh, it all started from there. But I was very fortunate because mum and dad were hardworking people, um, up at five every morning, coming home at six every night. And I virtually had the, uh, the house to myself as a young fella, and... Uh, used to walk to school at Hawthorne West up the road and then I went to Swinburne, then went to Kew High and in that oil area. And of course, the Hawthorne football club was smack in the middle.
1: As you say, born in Hawthorne, what was life like in, you know, eastern suburbia Melbourne in the 60s and 70s as a son of Italian migrants? I mean, that's an mm. Anglo-Saxon community, obviously very much so back in those days. Was it Was it tough?
2: No, wasn't that tough, but but uh, in our street uh, there was there was some Yugoslavians uh, to the left hand side of us, and some Greeks to the right hand side of us. So a lot of migrants came in that time for labouring work, and um, uh, and our street was uh, was quite uh, it was a mixed bag with Aussies, of course, in there, as well as we used to call them the Aussies. <laughs> but, but as a young boy, you know, going to school, um, I found it a little bit tough because in the way that that only because um, I used to have a very bad stutter, uh, and I really took me a lot of time to to say what I wanted to say. And being hyperactive mm. at the same time, it was quite confusing. But uh, one thing I could do was uh, run, jump, skip, and hop because of the uh, the energy that I had. And I tried everything uh, for, the, for the school running, jumping, skipping you know, swimming, new name but I wanted to be involved with those uh, so-called Anglo-Saxons and become good friends with a lot of guys. But, but also with my surname, DTN Domenico, was sort of like, you know, I got picked on a little bit, but, uh, you know, I sort of looked after myself.
1: We'll get to that a little bit later, because that certainly was the theme that carried her out throughout your football career. Fascinating that your mum and dad married over the phone by a proxy. But what did they know of Aussie rules football, Dipper? And were they happy for you to pick up a ball and play?
2: Uh-huh. They knew nothing about it, of course. Because Dad, uh, obviously, like most migrants, um, were soccer uh, soccer fans, and and back in the day, Olympic Park where Connie would now train, of course. Uh, down that way, there uh, used to be the Velodrome, and also um, Juventus uh, soccer team used to play out of Olympic Park. And I remember going to uh, the Velodrome with my jaggers. Bike riding and bike racing was quite big in the in the in the European areas, and used to try, used to take me to the Velodrome, and then and then uh, we used to go and watch uh, uh, Juventus play as well. So when uh, it all happened, to the fact that I got a chance to play with Juventus in the early days. As a, as a young fella, same bit of soccer, as a goalkeeper, because I could, you know, mark a ball and whatever. And footy wasn't yeah. really, well, footy was 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 just starting to sort of take over a little bit. I was about 14, 15 at the time. And uh, as it goes, it was that um, I was uh, playing in a, a site called uh, 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 North Hugh, uh, uh, under 15s and uh, I was also playing the seniors at the same time uh, in amateurs in the afternoon so in the morning I play under at 15. 15 so I was captain at 15 at 15 16 and then uh, and then in the seniors uh, at Q so two teams I was captain of North Q on the 15th on a Saturday morning and on the Sunday after on the Sunday afternoon I played uh, with uh, uh Q Q seniors in the amateur group um, and then on a Sunday I used to play under seventeen a bulling temp. <laughs> so you could just see the football would start to to uh take part of it and mum and dad really didn't realise what footy was all about of course, but they just as I said, hard working people. I I had the old uh, uh, uh latchkey syndrome where I obviously had a key to the house and uh, and and away I'd run out all day and then come up for dinner, basically. It was like that.
1: Oh, those were the days. We, we know the yeah, player yeah. you became, obviously, at Hawthorne, but what, what sort of player were you as a, as a youngster, Dipper? Was it many of the same traits, or did a lot of it come later? What sort of player were you as a kid?
2: Uh, as a kid, I was, uh, I was always... Uh, because I could run all day, and, and my size, I, mean, I, I played at Hawthorne in, the, in my heyday at, at about 103 kilos, right? On the wing, and I could run all day. Oh. And, uh, and that was certainly something that changed the game of football in a way because it went away from the Robbie Flower type of players to and the Dougie Hawkins, which I love playing against, of course, and great friends, uh, to, um, you know, bigger boy, the Mertonagos and the Moulins and these sort of guys, you know. And uh, uh, So in the early days, I could take a mark, I could kick a goal. I, I, was, playing, I was playing like in the four line and in the middle, uh, as well, like, a, as a ruck rover. And so, and, um, and all those different sides that I played with, um, uh, I was playing a you know, ruck, ruck rover in the four line. Uh, and sometimes I used to go from center half forward to center half back to center half back to center half forward, uh, sometimes. So I played a mixed bag, uh, and we had some great players all around me when we played those three different times at, at teams. But, um, well, when I went to Hawthorne, one thing uh, I could do was put my head over the ball. I was uh, so-called a brave player, not because I was a good player, because that's all the way that I could get a kick is just, you know, do all those little one percenters. You know, put my head over the ball, smother the ball, get the ball run. My skill level wasn't that good. Um, uh, it didn't have to be that good at under-15s. I sort of you know, dominated what, uh, what I had to do. But when I got to the seniors, when I went to Hawthorne, there was a lot of learning to do, that's for sure.
1: And you mentioned um, playing, obviously, junior footy there. Was there an age or a moment in time where you realised you might have had a professional future in the game?
2: Well, I'm not professional, but <laughs> back in those days, it wasn't professional it is today.
1: Yeah. Um, top level.
2: Yeah, yeah, top level. I think at the time, the Hawthorne Footy Club, and most footy clubs had uh, like uh, May holiday camps. Where you got invited, uh, you know, scouts would be going around the place looking at players, and you'd be invited to go to Glenfurry Able during the the, the May school holidays, and then um, you spend two weeks at the club where you train and and learn the basics, and you know, and then meet the, some of the players. where I first met, like um, um, the Brian Dews and Peter Knights and Lee Matthews or whatever, um, you know, coming through the coming through the change rooms and that, and then you become Sort of, because back in those years, you, you, at times you, you were zoned to an area you weren't drafted like today. So they had eyes on on, on many players, country players and, and uh, metropolitan players. Anyway, uh, after the two weeks, um, they have a game, uh, metro versus uh, country, and I ended up getting best on ground, and uh, and then there was sort of some some talk around me. But uh, you know, uh, the opportunity came when there was a knock on, the, on my father's door.
1: You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life, thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934, Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Well, as Robert Domenico just touched on, he's about to join Hawthorne. After this, we'll chart his path to the big time.
0: You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives.
1: Hello, great to have your company on. This is your sporting life made possible by Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. We're with Hawthorne icon, one of the game's great characters, Robert Dippier-Domenico. Well, Dipper, I think you were mentioning your schools earlier. At Swinburne Tech, your headmaster was a man by the name of John Kennedy Sr., who, lo and behold, I think, would become your first senior coach. Yeah,
2: like yeah, Sam, it was quite frightening because, uh, you know, at that time I was sort of like, Oh, you know, that 14, 15, 16 year old sort of kid who, uh <laughs> was 13, you know, just starting to come through. I thought it was a bit of a. Um, I, I wasn't a troublemaker, Sam, but because of my stutter and um, my hyperactiveness in, in the school class, I, you know, I was trying to sort of make jokes all the time because I wanted to be part of the gang. You know, mm. the time I, I told a joke, it took like half an hour, right? You know, but. And then I used to get sort of. You know the old days we used to get the chair in the corridor and used to sit out there and the principal would walk down the you know the corridor and go what are you doing here yeah, it's not me again and used to go into into, into uh, the uh, the principal's office and get the old strap but yeah John Kennedy was uh, senior and uh, we miss him dearly uh, already but uh, he uh, he was a principal at the time and at the same time I was going through Hawthorne and I ended up at Glenfrey Abel with a letter saying, i oh, welcome there, at, you know, at, at five o'clock. And, and then, I, then John Kennedy walked out and he goes, what are you doing here? <laughs> I'm, I'm here, sir. Five laps, off you go. You know, <laughs> sort of. Um, it was interesting times, you know. It, it, it sort of like, it felt like slow motion, but it went pretty quick.
1: Well, he, he, he couldn't give you detention, could he? Because it would have needed your training. That's exactly right. <laughs> That's exact- I did right. Uh, I
2: was asked to leave Swinburne Tech, I, so I ended up going to Kew High. <laughs> so, uh, and then um, I was only saw Swinburne for a couple of years there, but that was about 14, 15 years of age. But uh, right. I hadn't met the man before I went to Hawthorne, that is for sure.
1: And what was... Oh, jeez, Peter Knights, you touched on before, Lee Matthews, Don yeah. Scott. I mean, they're big, big names in a change room for a teenager.
2: Yeah. Can you imagine the first time you rock up? I'm 16, 16 and a half years of age. I get a letter from Hawthorne, you know, welcome to the Hawthorne Football Club. There was a bit of a story before they had a getting there. I rock up, and then there's another... In 1975, and there's another two guys who rock up with me on the same day. There's Rodney E and Ian Payton. Okay, boys. How are you? And then Peter Crimmins was the captain of the team at the time. And he come over, he introduced himself. And, uh, and then you saw Michael Tuck and Lee Matthews and, uh, you know... Calvin Moore and, and mm. you know, all these great, Don Scott, of course, and all these great players come out of the change room and there you are, you, you've got a school, boy, a school bag in front of you with two other kids from Tasmania <laughs> and you're told to get changed and out you go. It's, uh, that was a time when the young players had to really smarten up, become a young man very quickly.
1: Yeah. Well, you mentioned 1975. You make your debut that year, round 18 against Fitzroy. But, geez, you must have had to learn the art of patience, Dipper, because you don't play another senior game in 76 or 77. And instead, you feature in around that era, 99 reserves games, flitting between the two levels. I mean, it's almost unheard of by today's day and <laughs> age. That's a huge apprenticeship. Oh,
2: today. Yeah, well, Sam, today is, is unheard of. Um, as you know, I've been involved with football for a long, long time. I was kick ambassador and been involved with the international rules for twenty odd years and, and played it. And mm. I know every every play these days. I know where their families and where they come from. And um, you know, they're, they're they're young men straight away, straight in, straight into the system. Where back in the day, it was uh, it was. I mean, you know, even Michael Tuck played fifty reserve games. Uh, you know. Chris Lankworth played over 50. Peter Swab was hundred reserve games. And most of my reserve games were because of the fact that I started early at Hawthorne. And I got the first game. And the reason why I got the first game was Lee Matthews was cooked that day. Can you believe that? I replaced Lee Matthews on the 19th, 19th man and against Fitzroy. And I remember coming on the ground and getting my first kicks. And, um, you know, I was the front page of the age, Sam. Can imagine I, how big the age is, right?
1: I remember that photo. i uh, seen that photo. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, well,
2: well my scene was a juno at the time. <laughs> and uh, and he did the story on me. And obviously, we've become friends from that moment onwards. But it was sort of like, uh, it, 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 there was a lot of things that happened for me to get that game. But what they wanted to find out was, you know, because I, as I said to you before, what John Kennedy loved was the fact that, you know, I had... I could put my head over the ball and just wanted to give me an opportunity. So one minute I'm playing six, seven games under-19s, because back in the day had under-19s. Then you went to the reserves for a couple of games. And the next thing, I hear Lou Richards and, and, and the guys call out my name on, on the first game. It was amazing.
1: So you end up turning well, it around, stuff, though. And, and you they play... stuff that up, yeah. Yeah,
2: <laughs> and they you... stuff, yeah. Jack and Lou and Bob, they up the name as
1: well, so, you know. <laughs> I'm sure you've heard a bit of everything when it comes to the surname, but obviously you've become a regular by 1978, which we'll get to in a moment, but what do you think turned it around? And I think going forward a couple of years, you credit, do you not, the late Alan Jeans for saving your career, don't you? I think by your own admission, maybe not quite as disciplined or there might have been some poor fitness, um, maybe some attitude oh. problems as well as a youngster. Oh, I've done
2: everything, Sam. I mean, can you imagine, like, you know, when I walked in, to Hawthorne, you know, I, yeah, I've got my own parents, of course, they they're hard-working parents, whatever, but then you walk into Hawthorne and, and all of a sudden I'm there. I mean, who's to know I was going to be there for 18 years of my life, every day right. of my life? And not only do you have your own parents, but the discipline that I had to have from John Kennedy and David Parkin and Alan Jeans and even Alan Joyce at the time and, and the people around you and, 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 and being at Hawthorne, which is that family club that that strong club, and from 1975 through to where I finished in 91, we you know, we dominated, absolutely dominated, from 70s, 80s, and uh, to the 90s, and of course, and and then the club went to that 18 years of you know of, of nothing, and all all of a sudden the 2000s, from 2008 onwards, Hawthorne dominate again. You know what I mean? Um, it was just a, an amazing time, an amazing time, but. Like everything, we all grow up and we all grow up with the footy club, and 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 we become part of the furniture. And you think you're a little bit good than what you thought you were. And uh, you know, and and back in the day, uh, Sammy Boy, and the the night clubs, the, the the disco ball, disco was out, and the bands, and and during the week you could go out and just watch a few bands, like you know Cold Chisel and and Gerald uh, used to be in a band called Sherbet, you know, and, uh, and and all those great bands and. It was an exciting time the 80s. You're young and you got your license and you can go out and have a few drinks and no one would worry about it. And there were no phones around the area and uh, it was uh, it, it was time of growing up. But around the footy club, you you, you go up pretty quickly uh, and you got men like father figures, not just coaches, but father figures who want the best out of you. But you've got to stand up to them sometimes and you know, and, uh, and sometimes you get a clip across the ear.
1: Just on clips across the year, it did come to a head with Yabby, Abbey, didn't it? There's a famous, or maybe it's more infamous, uh, night at the Social Club on a Thursday night where it came to a head with the coach.
2: Yeah, well, that was, that was, uh, that was interesting because I remember because Alan Jeans came in, he was the first Hawthorne coach ever to come outside Hawthorne, right? Every other coach, the two coaches who've never played for Hawthorne was Alan Jeans and Alistair Clarkson and they have become part of our you know, fabric at Hawthorne. But every other coach has been a Hawthorne person. That's a, quite a unique stat, that one, I think. Mm. And John Kenny Sr. asked uh, Alan G to come in, and around about eighty, eighty-one, 80, 81 or whatever, and at and that time I played in the 1978 Premiership, which I got best on ground on, right? Mm. Uh, and, you know, you're 18, 19, you 19, you've just won a Premiership, you got best on ground, and yeah, you know, yeah. You know, it, yeah, the 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 world opens up to you. Well, the the pub doors open up to you anyway. You know. <laughs> anyway, uh, I uh, I was around the place, and and then Gingy and I, you know, I thought, well, you know, you're you in the club, and I've been here since I was sixteen. Don't come and tell me what to do. <laughs> As you know, sometimes when you're in, uh, well, in in. In all positions of life and I've learned a lot from this moment well, you know if you've got a new manager a new CEO a new uh, station manager whatever it is you know they've got their own ways of doing things And sometimes in the past that, that uh, you know someone might like you and, and somebody you know, might like you you know you've got to go with the punches and and, and respect those people's positions when when Gigi came in I used to test him all the time I used to be out in my clubs all the time whatever and and I was playing with football and senior football at the same time. And anyway, one night, I, I, played, I played against Footscray um, the week before, this night. And uh, Russell Green and myself were on the bench. And I played against Dougie Hawkins. And, you know, when Dougie'd me up a little bit, and we played against each other 16 times, Dougie and I. We we're, were the best of friends. God, he could play, couldn't he, eh? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, and um, I beat him once, and that was the bad year, But it was a final. I'm happy about that. But anyway, <laughs> I thought I played pretty well, and and I found out that I was going to get dropped. And then I, in in the Hawthorne trainers room, it was actually in the trainers room. We used to go in there because back in the day, it was all about raising money to go on a footy trip, and yep. the trainers wanted to come as well. So we used to buy raffle tickets and whatever, and people used to go in there. Sixty, seventy people on a on a Thursday night have a few beers and. And uh, and Johnny Ribeiro's, you have a fishery, um, you know restaurants. I uh, used to uh, fetish fish and all that sort of stuff. And we used to go in, buy some raffle tickets, respect the trainers, and uh, and walk out. Well, I went in. I used to have a little bit of a scotch and coke, and then have a piece of fish, and and I used to walk out. Well, this time I found out by one of the trainers I was going to get dropped. I thought, right, out oh, this is it. So I said, God oh, give me a scotch and coke," and then another one, and another one. I <laughs> ended up drinking the bottles virtually. And I didn't realize that Alan Jeans was coming from match committee into, into there a be himself. And he, he looked at me and I looked at him. And, of course, Sam, um, I had a few wines and and, then, and a few scotches. I go, what, are you, what, are you, what are you looking at me for, eh? eh? <laughs> that sort of stuff. He said, well, why don't we go and talk about this in, the, in in the coaches room? And I was really, you know, I was really wild at, at the time and, so we're in the coaches room, Sam, and I still remember, and I forget, Alan James was a, a sergeant of police at the time.
1: Mm.
2: He shut the door behind me and he gave me a beauty, absolute ripper. He threw me against the wall, threw me across the room, put his elbow in, into my, in, in, you know, underneath my throat, opened my legs up, you know, and said, how dare you, how dare you embarrass the footy club? And... I just sort of broke down and cried. i go, going, what are you? I just want to play football. I just want to play for you. Yeah. But the thing about the great man was the fact that, you know, two hours later, I'm still talking to him about uh, what, you know, who am I and what I'm trying to achieve. And, and he gave me some opportunities. He said, look, you're going to play in the reserves the next three or four weeks. And I did that. He goes, you show me that you want me to, that you want to stay here. At the same time about eighty four, whatever Carl um Essen and Melbourne were looking at me to to get traded over there and uh but G gave me the opportunity and went on to win a Brownlow and a couple more premierships with him. So yeah. Gee. Amazing.
1: The rest is the rest and is I, history. Yeah, and
2: I yeah, I don't mind telling that story because, you know, it, it was the times, but you know, at that age I I you know, I was a little bit lost myself, but, but these guys like Parker and Jeans and and and, uh, and Kenny they're it's just father figure. They wanted you to succeed as a person, not just a football, but you know, who we are. Yeah, it was, just, it was amazing. You know, I still tested him after that. Don't worry about that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but there was a, an agreement between the two of you, it seemed like. And as I said, the, the rest was history, wasn't it? So if it was a Crossroads moment, you went the right way.
2: Yeah. Uh, and the agreement was, he was going to test me about playing the reserves and what sort of um, you know, person I was. And you know, I've got to pay my penance uh, for mucking up, and then um, he come. And, and for those four weeks, you know, he, he he virtually ignored me, right? But the reserves and seniors should to train together, and then uh, on the yeah, and then when the time was up, he goes, right, you're back in the side, Same week,
1: and that was, Fant- and that was history. Mm. Fantastic, fantastic. You with but, this is your sporting life brought to you by Tobin Brothers Funeral, celebrating lives. Visit TobinBrothers.com. Well, after this break, we'll go to Dipper's memories of that magical Brownlow medal win and his remarkable run of grand finals.
0: You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives.
1: Hello, we hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Sporting Life. We're chatting with Brownlow medalist, Hall of Famer and five-time Premiership star, Robert Dippier-Domenico. Well, Dipper, take us back to 1986. You play every game. It would be a Premiership year for the Hawks. You tally a career high, 571 disposals and 23 goals. But tell me this, when did you honestly think you're a chance to win the Brownlow medal?
2: (laughs) Oh, well, I was 50 to 1, too. Wow, how good was that, eh? <laughs> Actually, they're quite sorry about that because we were fortunate enough to uh, 86. Okay, so 83, 84, 85, 86, uh, we are going to play uh, what, our fourth prim- uh, grand final. Mm. In 83, we won, of course, against Essendon. Uh, and Essendon Hawthorne, as you know, back in the 80s, we just loved playing against each other but hating each other, you know? really it was just great football to play against these guys. we respect them as much as we'd love to beat them and vice versa and we uh, beat them we smash them in 83 in eighty four, we had the opportunity with five goals up at three quarter time and of course they got up and beat us you know and that was one that's got away from us but 85 they destroyed us absolutely destroyed us so 86 uh you know it was another chance for us to play in the grand final so prior to a grand final week, is that you can you can train on the MCG, uh, yeah, just your mates, you know, just twenty blokes, twenty five blokes kicking the ball around the MCG, no one else there. And uh, it was the Monday afternoon <clears throat> of the Brownlow, and uh, we're doing our stuff, and then I heard Alan G go, Platten, Brereton, Dipper, Tucky, get over here. So we come over the way he goes. Now listen, boys. Bloody important. Bloody important that yeah. you bloody. Keep out of the bloody media, all right? <laughs> I don't want to see your face. I don't want to hear your voice. I don't want to see you anywhere. Just lay low. We need to win this bloody grand final. You understand? We need everything, you know? <laughs> oh. So, um, so oh, I'm going, okay, no worries at all. No, I felt, how good is this? It's called me in to sort of say, well, stay out of the media and that sort of stuff, you you know, he he knew how important it was. You know, I was part of the group. Anyway, who's to know that night? I bloody go to the <laughs> to the Brello Medal, and I had a pretty good year. Uh, I thought I had a a, a great year in '84, but '86 I had a really good year as well. And uh, I got there late because um, I lived in Barony, every time I got home, all that sort of stuff, and and uh, and some votes were up there, and I knew that <laughs> I knew that. Uh, Paul Ruse and Williams played against each other in the in the, in the last game, and Williams got reported, and Paul didn't have a good day or whatever, and uh, and we were locked on 17 votes. And I remember Dougie Hawkins running around and going, "Mate, no, you won, you won the though, you won the Brown I go, no, "Dougie, sure, he was pissed, of course, because we were drinking." <laughs> I said, yeah, he, had, he had he had a few, you know. Oh, mate, well, you can't believe it, anyway, when they. <laughs> When they said that you know the Brownlow medals, I could not believe it. But my my first thought was, Sam, keep out of the media, right? <laughs> Here I won Hawthorne's first Brownlow medal. It's
1: going to be difficult. Gittier,
2: Medico, Robert Diffie of the Medico wins Hawthorne's first Brownlow medal. <laughs> you know, I, I congratulate Greg Williams. He can't believe that he's sharing it with me. And, you know, he, he, and then uh, I get up on stage and Peter Landis is, was interviewing me and I looked out and Alan Jesus got his face in his hands like going oh what the hell has happened
1: here?" you know <laughs> and, you, and you you and made I a good so you, you yeah. made a good pair with, with Diesel though Dipper, because obviously you had your media band you were almost hiding on stage I, I don't think Diesel he barely smiled so you made a fair duo <laughs> up on the stage
2: no he didn't smile he was I think he was pissed off sharing with me think what the hell have I got You know. What... but then again the We've become great friends, of course, and uh, we've played state football with each other and that, and uh, against each other. He, he went on to win another one, but uh, uh, I suppose it, it changed the Brownlow in a way too, because uh, the type of players that we were were hard players as well as you know, you know, pretty good players at the time. And but I, all I remember was Genji put his hand in the face, thinking of oh, the week of the of, of the uh, grand final difference Brownlow medal. Uh, Hawthorne's first ever at the time I went training the next morning or next afternoon and uh, there were 10,000 people at the if, if not more at Grand Foray to watched us train like we'd always did on Grand Final Week and I remember Jeansy and all my mates are going oh I can't believe it well done or whatever. I remember Jeansy getting us all in and just saying now listen congratulations congratulations Robert what you have done to this Hawthorne Football Club is absolutely fantastic. Now you have got the responsibilities of being a brown medalist. Make sure you understand what those responsibilities are. But now we got a job to do, you know, all that sort of stuff. And it was, yeah. it was just a moment. In my life It was just unbelievable. But I did go to brown line for another four, five, six, seven years. I was, I wasn't embarrassed, but I was sort of like, you know, like, yeah, I didn't feel as though I was part of the class. And but now I love it. I, I love it. And um, and I. I get around the Brownlow Millers and, and try and help out the, uh, you know, the older guys, and, and uh, you know, it's a, a very unique club, Sam.
1: Yeah, uh, what a club to be involved in! And I think on the night, obviously, you were getting set for Carlton that Saturday, who you, you took mm. care of in the end um, quite easily to win the eighty-six Premiership. But John Elliott was the president, of course, on the night, didn't he? Cheekily offer you a few beers, coax you into a couple of drinks <laughs> to celebrate.
2: Yeah, as we walked up because Fosses was part of uh, the crew and. Uh, and uh, he, he gave me a can. I'm going no, 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 thanks, you know. Because what happened back in the days is is that you sit, you know, your Hawthorn teammates got two or three tables, and then there's the opposition side that you're playing against is virtually across the road from you. And um, and uh, uh, and back in the day, it wasn't like all the players know each other like these days. Because these guys come through draft systems together. and They've either been in the same draft system and you know been separated. Where we were all, you know, suburban local in, uh, interstate guys, and there was a bit of a um, a line between sides back of the day until you went to a pub or, or something like that. You know what I mean? But when I played yeah. football, it was, it was, you know, it was really just hard days. Look, look, a lot of people say today, Sam, you know, when when there's a hard fought game or someone gets absolutely thrashed or whatever, and as soon as the siren goes, the plays go. To opposition play, shake hands and have a bit of a laugh and whatever, and, and 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 supporters sometimes can't understand why would they be laughing? if They got smashed the way they did. Well, a lot of these guys sort of played football since they were 13, 14 together. You know what I mean? And they mm. know each other. You know, so. Mm. Uh, but uh, back in the day, it was a handshake and uh, and, and you moved on. Hey
1: Dipper, some the, of the flip side. I've got to ask you, 86, you got a lot of umpire love, of course, as you need to, to get to win the Brownlow. But um, the flip side of that was you didn't exactly need directions to the uh, VFL Tribunal, did you? I mean, you were there a bit.
2: <laughs> yeah, only because of circumstances, you know. <laughs> I, I, uh, yeah, well, back in the day, I saw you. But, but I, I go back to every time I've been reported, hmm. not once, don't ever go out and go right. I'm going to get this guy, or whatever that da, that. It happened to be the ball's always between me and my opponent. And uh, a couple of times I've got five weeks. You know, I well, the only one really I wanted to get, <laughs> not wanted to get, but I told him I was going to get him anyway. Was uh, was hockey on uh, on eighty nine grand final because he kept having to go at me and because I was a bit crooking the time. And there's some great slow motion where oh. he's got my head. He's got my head, and he's punching my head in slow motion when I've got two guys, Andrew Buse and um, um in a in a in headlock, right? So like a triangle and I anyway, I saw him on the boundary and I gave him one and um, yeah, so that was the only time. But you know, when you when a tribunal it wasn't as easy as people because you have to remember what was going on and then you you uh you weren't allowed to talk until your, your man said to you, the advocate said, you know, where were you here? Or the umpires had to remember where they were, which way the wind was blowing, which way was the goal was going. It was quite frightening that actually, you know.
1: Yeah. You raise 89. Obviously, that's a decider that endures perhaps more than any other in the history of the game. And obviously, the last grand final under the VFL moniker. Yeah. And yet, you smashed Hawking that day, uh, split him open while I think you were shepherding for James Morrissey at the time. And, and yeah. you might have given it then, but you'd copped it, and none more so than in this game, obviously, when Gary Ablett cannoned into you in the first quarter and when you dropped into the space in front of him and you had your ribs busted and your lung punctured <coughs> for good measure.
2: Yeah, I, I did actually drop into the area. There's three words you don't want to hear on grand final day, right? Now, grand final for any player is the, the pinnacle. We were lucky enough. Well, that was my seventh grand final in a row.
1: Amazing.
2: In a row, it was my eighth overall. And even though you want to, even though you want to play in the grand final, they're there to win. They're not there to lose. The ones that we've lost. Hurt more than the, you know, every day. But in 85, when we got... uh, In 86, uh, we won. 87, we lost. In 88, we won. But no Hawthorne side's ever done back-to-back before. And even though we got to grand finals, we still had to prove ourselves that we were a good team, you know? Uh, So, '89 was really important to us. And, of course, Alan uh, Alan James came back in 89 because in 88, he had a brain hemorrhage. Hmm. And Alan George took over and won a premiership on ninety six points. It was a new voice for us and it was something different. And and typical Hawthorne. Alan uh, was our uh, uh footy manager at the time and he had coached over in uh, Fremantle and the club said, Well you're coaching while Alan Jeans in hospital So <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? You know? Yeah. Um, and then Alan Jeans came back and, and for all of us it was it was great to have him back, but A nine for us was a you know, it was a measure of of, of everything. You know, could just Put this club players first ever back to back, and so the, the three words you don't want to hear, my friend, at least, it's yours, Dipper. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Who said that?
2: Oh, like, you know, you're just your teammate, Dipper. It's yours. Yeah. It's yours, Dipper. You know, and when your teammate calls you insane, you go
1: exactly. You can't exactly move but it speaking of looking right. deeper, looking looking back, do you think I was completely mad to to play on? Because I feel like I'm saying this a bit, but it just wouldn't happen these days.
2: It wouldn't happen these days. But then again, they wouldn't know because I didn't tell anyone I was a cook anyway. Mm.
1: So and and would I do you... it
2: again? Bloody hope I would, because you know, grand finals, you're not, you know, it doesn't matter what type of grand final you play, if it's basketball cricket, soccer, whatever, you just want to be involved, you know, You're, you've are you been chosen to wear that jumper for that day for your club, right, and that was what we were all about, to play in grand finals, and we were there to win it,
1: mm.
2: and um, so, you know, unfortunately, for Johnny Platton got knocked out, he doesn't even remember the game, you know, and then and of course, German, what happened to him in the first seconds of the game, and, and, and typical Dermot, just that Irish background of his just stood up and just said, well, the more you hit me, the more I'm going to play, you know, stand up in front of you. And he went back and back into a pack himself and took a mark and kicked the was quite... You know, everything was moving really quickly. And we knew that Geelong, well, at the time, we knew Geelong were, were, really want to be physical on us, you know, which I suppose didn't work for them in the, in the first quarter because we went away and kicked three or four quick goals, you know. But um, uh, yeah, will I do it again? Oh yeah, I'll do it again. Every time I have the MCG and, and uh people ask me about it, well, there's been many highlights on the MCG. You can ask every player, every person on the MCG that the highlight is to play there, the highlight is to is to win there, but the highlight is is also just to give your best and uh yeah, fortunate enough I, I had enough to give my best just to the last breath.
1: Oh, he, he, and it was, wasn't it? Because you make it to the final siren before you you take it to the casualty ward up the road at St. Vincent's Hospital, and eventually into intensive care. And I think you ended up spending eight days in hospital. I mean, you were a seriously unwell man.
2: Well, at the time, I didn't really know, except for the fact that uh, um, I knew that I broke my ribs in the early early. But when my body was imploding um, and my voice was going really high like this, <laughs> I was running around the MCs again. Hey, kick it at me, kick it at me Yeah, where well, you got helium <laughs> and uh, and the players are going, you're are you all right? Yeah, I'm all right, what's wrong with you, you know? <laughs> um I laugh about it now, but there's no way I know I was coming off that ground. I I I no way I know. and I remember Gene having a at me a three quarter time. He said, "The bruns are starting to get on the top of your son. Can you blow your last again? You know? And and, and, truth, and truth of and true to my word, and German has said it on a Foxtel just recently, Alan Jean said, There's no one I bloody know who died playing this game.
1: <laughs> Jeez. So, Tempting face.
2: So he had a goat me. I remember waking up in the hospital three or four days later and, and Alan Jeans and the boys came in and he said to me, Son, I am so sorry what I said to you <laughs> You know Uh it was, it was look. Uh yeah, you look back at it and you don't do it to become a hero you don't do it all you want to do is play footy it's all you wanted to do and win the game and i remember going going uh to the other side of the ground when the ball was thrown in and, and i ended up being on top of it and when the siren goes i remember michael tuck picking me up off the ground and he was the closest person and he had a split web in himself. Like his blood was pouring out of his hands and all that sort of stuff. And he goes, "We won, we won." And eventually, had squeezed the last bit of breath. And EJ Went, the great EJ, coming out. And I've known EJ a long, long time. I played state football with him. And you know, shake you he shook your hand, uh, Sam, he just crushed it. You know, when yeah. he saw me, you know, God, you won, you won, you won. He goes, "Oh my God, he's not well." You know, and they got me off. Off to
1: the hospital and, uh, you know, I was very fortunate enough to, uh, well, survive, I suppose. Yeah, scary times. And I, wanted, I really wanted to ask you this, uh, Dipper. Obviously, eight grand finals, seven of them in a row. You're as, as well or as better qualified than almost anyone to answer this. In our game, when there's just one game, one day, one chance to win the Premiership, what is the key to performing well?
2: Oh, well, that's a really good question. I'll push on you. Hmm. Uh, if they say look, it's just a normal game, well, well it is a, a game, right? But just the, the pressures prior to, the, you know, when you've got those, you know, when, when the belly's turning over, you know, the butterflies and all the nervous energy that you have and whatever. As time went on, we got used to that, and and I suppose that just to be in control of what you can do on the grand final. Um, I've always thought that if you got early, if you got involved in the game really early, then the day, you know, pans out for you because you've got a touch of the ball, you've you've had a smack of kiss a, a, across the head, you've had a tackle, you're involved in the game, and, and all that energy then goes in, into playing football, not running around like you know, like you see some players just just you know, a bit lost there for a little while. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. it's a, it's yeah, it's interesting. Yeah.
1: We're talking to the great Robert DiPier-Domenico on This Is Your Sporting Life. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. We'll be back shortly with Dipper, who certainly didn't disappear from view when he hung up the boots.
0: You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives.
1: It's been great to have your company here on This Is Your Sporting Life, thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. AFL icon Robert Dippier domenico is our guest today. Well, Dipper, life after football is something that understandably stresses players. You didn't appear, though, to struggle with moving on from the game. Is that a fair comment?
2: Well, Sam, I'm like every other player thinking, what the hell am I going to do? Uh Tiger's different there, Sam, because uh, I was working, uh, well, everyone was working. Michael Tap was a plumber. He used to dig holes during the day and then run 400 kilometres, 400 uh, metres in Olympic time. He was an absolute freak. But everyone had a job. And and right about the mid-80s, professionalism started to come into football uh, where dieticians came in. You know, we were eating steak and chips and pasta on a Thursday night and fish and chips and whatever on a Friday night. And then you know the dieticians like Karen Ines came to our club, uh, and 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 we went from eating that type of food to bananas and muffins and that. You know what I mean? Uh, yep. It was it was times of change. But I remember I was uh, I was a tie fitter first when the club first got me in my job at 17 years of age. I was a tie fitter. I I, I, I really loved that because I know how to change ties, and 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 I'm I'm full. I'm a sucker when I see someone with a tie change, I just go in and take over. Like, cause I know what to do, you know? Um, and, um, and then I went into the printing game and, and, um, you know, and then I was just starting to find the feet around the place. Well, I decided around about 86, uh, 85, 86, I decided to go, uh, well, professional. The money wasn't big at the time, um, but I thought I could make a living out of this game uh, through some other stuff that I was doing. And, um, yeah, and you know, throughout my career, I had an opportunity to be on TV a few times, and and then the doors opened up for me at the uh, uh, at the end of my career. Um, I remember Channel 9 I coming to me and saying we've got a brand new show called. Uh, well, my manager at the time, Danny Finley, said look, and I got a brand new show called the Footy Show. I want you to be involved, and then he came up and said, Look, Channel Seven also want you to be a boundary writer, someone who can bring the game into the, into the homes of people. Mm. Um, I thought, well, that sounds like fun, you know? Um, and so I decided to go with the boundary writing, <laughs> which is like, oh my God, I remember the first night there was no training. I, I thought you'd get training. You know, I thought my football was like anything. Yeah. You, you, know, you, you get taught how to use the microphone. And, cause just you're thrown football, in. You just Yeah. When you're a football, you you get yeah you get you know pushed you know, in by, by commentators whatever and you just answer the questions. But when you're doing the other side like you are right now, you got to think about what they say, what they're doing, who they are. But back in those days, Sam, there was no like today. You know the ins and the outs of every player's families. Back in those days, everything was a secret, right? Yeah. So here I am, here I am, you know, Dipper. First time on, on the boundary, um, you know, half the blokes I've, I'm, I'm, I'm commentating, I've, I've, you know, I've played against or whatever, and knocking on, on, on secret doors downstairs, trying to get into the rooms and telling me get to piss off and, you know, go and listen to what the coach has to say a quarter time. And I remember Dennis Pagan used to have three, uh, three bodyguards around around their players. And I come in close and they say, sorry, if you can't come in closer. so I go, well, hang on. I've got a job to do. You got a job to do, yeah, and then I said, uh, "It was, it was so much fun." And then I thought, you know what? I'm just going to be myself. I don't give a shit what they say. <laughs> I'll just make it up. Yeah. And, you know, if it was, if it was raining. I'm not going to get wet. I'll go to the bar. I'll, I'll, I'll commentate from the bar, like you know. Well. And then, I hope they I, I hope they
1: retired that rain jacket, Dip, because that was a permanent fixture as well. The Channel Seven rain jacket. Yeah, no, no, I've got I've I've,
2: I've got it in my wardrobe now. I've, I've actually worn it a couple of times now because uh, B.J. Whitten games. I've been asked to do the boundary back then. It was yeah. so much fun to wear it again. But um, uh, look, Sam, I should do three games a weekend. Friday night at the MCG. Saturdays are either being Sydney or Brisbane, or Brisbane or Sydney on a Sunday, right? And I did that for nearly 13 years. I do 87 games a year, right? and and then I had a, a show called Game Day,
1: which yep. is before
2: the the, the, the game on a Sunday. I we had to make up crap all the time, you know. And <laughs> and, and the buildings were the buildings were getting built at, at the Gabba, and the MCG was getting new new stands, and I I was I was up cranes in in buckets. I was. I was you know, the first person to have a beer uh, at, uh, at Eddie had there. I was the first person to, yeah,
1: you know, uh, uh, just an amazing time. It was an amazing time. It was well, fun. Dipper Dipper, jeez, you've had a cameo on Neighbours. You played Bruce the Hitchhiker on The Flying Doctors. I mean, you've had roles on Channel 9 show Excess Baggage. You hosted your own show last year, didn't you, Dipper's, Dipper's Backyard yeah, Barbecue that- Wars?
2: Yeah, I've got Dipper's Backyard Barbecue Wars at the moment, which is a second series just finished, and I've got Dipper's Destinations, which is a travel show, which I've just finished filming and has just been on air, which has been quite successful. And Unfortunately, because of the travel now, we're we uh, sort of just hung in there for a little while. But mm. yeah, no, I you know I've, I've had an opportunity to do a lot of things, but it's all off the cuff. It's all like here's a microphone and off you go, and and you just make your own way, you know and. Fortunate enough, um, yeah, the front bar keep bringing it up for me, which is lovely for the boys, and uh, they have a lot of fun with it, and you know. And
1: yeah. somehow, somehow, Dipper, between all that, you you found time ta- time to get a bit of a cult following. I think it's fair to say with the Dimmies and Forges ads.
2: Well, there's another opportunity for you. That, uh, I remember uh, the guy ringing me up and uh, <laughs> said, "I, oh, we got Lou Richards do a commercial. Wants you to do one as well." And we did it, and. And they said, can you come up with a with, a, with an ending? And I'm going, yeah, 999, be there, you know. Jimmy's yeah. <laughs> and Forgers, be there. Well, they have become <laughs> a, an icon, didn't it? really? And uh, everywhere I go these days, you know, the kids know me as, uh, hey, aren't you, um, aren't you, and I'm thinking, you know, Brownlow Medalist Hall of Famer, aren't you, uh, be there, be there. <laughs> <laughs> and then I did Ice Kick for about uh, 13 years, you know, trying to get the, the program around Australia, which we did, and... Yep. A lot of the players now who are playing have come through the program. But, uh program. Look, I've been very blessed to be, uh, you know, thrown into situations, and um, um, you know, I've been fortunate enough to think on the feet, and. Uh, and sometimes
1: I just say it as I say it and sometimes I can't say it Yeah, there's no doubt we need another run of the Dimmies and Forgers ads uh, so if that opportunity arises Dipper, grab it with both hands. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you today, obviously you patrolled the wings with that eye-catching blend of flair and toughness and it became folklore at Glenferry Oval, you are without doubt one of football's great characters and certainly among its most fierce competitors, Uh, your resume is incredible you've certainly given plenty back to the game as well in the years since Retirement. Thanks so much for joining us today.
2: Thanks, Sam, and I know the Tobin family, Michael Tobin, and uh, Michael. Good job there supporting everybody. But uh, no, 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 thanks for the uh, for the chat. It's always nice to be able to have a bit of a chat uh, no, to talk footy. Good.
1: Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it, Dipper. Thanks so much once again. And thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us also. You've been listening, of course, to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Just jump online to find tobinbrothers.com.au. We'll catch you next week to celebrate the life of another sporting icon.
0: You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives.